So listen, this morning, I'm going to do a message, and I'm calling it Advice from a Spring Semester Freshman. So I'm going to talk to you guys about parenting, and that's why I've called it Advice from a Spring Semester Freshman. I did not intend, when I began to prepare for this message, to talk to you guys about parenting. I'm humbled, I'm frightened, I'm terribly inadequate to talk to you guys about parenting. But God is really strong and able to use really weak people. And, um, and so I'm going to dare to do what I felt burdened to do, which is to do kind of a quick drive-by, very quickly, of just some, some key foundational elements of parenting. That, that was my burden, that, that on Children's Ministry Sunday, we would try to not just talk about helping you guys as parents, but that we would do what we want to do in Children's Ministry, which is to help parents. We don't want to overtake you as parents. We're not replacing you as parents. One of the things I love about the way that Andrew Pennington leads the youth is how committed he is to helping parents, how he, it's not just a parent-driven ministry, it's, it's parents in community with other parents, and, and how steadfastly he seeks to keep that value going. <clears throat> really, how steadfastly Andrew, um, he didn't pay me to say any of this stuff, but, but I've watched him over years, how steadfastly he commits to, to hold the fundamentals of what children's ministry is about. Uh, it's not about big lights and colors and balloons. I mean, it, it, it get, it, that's a great thing to have around, right? But at the core, it's about the Lord and helping your children know the Lord and helping you help your children know the Lord. And we, that's reflected in what Andrew's done as a pastor. We want that to also be reflected in the children's ministry as well for the younger ages. So this is... This is a a freshman spring semester advice uh, on parenting from a guy who's in the trenches with you. I'm speaking particularly to parents of young children, parents that are highlighted in our children's ministry. And 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 I'm hoping that through uh, the next few minutes, you will be reminded of fundamental things in in parenting that have really spoken to me. And... um, And and if you're a a single person, may this be a way you can pray and think and counsel. Hopefully those folks you know who are parents, prepare your own hearts. And and if you're you're an empty nester, may this be a way that you can pray and think and meditate on counseling those you know who are parents. So we're going 25,000 feet up, 1,000 miles an hour. We're not going to go hyper deep into anything. I just wanted to do a a brief primer, like a halftime pep talk on the fundamentals here. So um, we're going to put all kinds of resources this week. When we put on the, the sermon post-op, we're going to put lots of resources about parenting on there for you guys that I've seen this week in just the last day or two particularly. Um, but we got seven little pieces, and we'll see how far we get. Are you guys ready to go crazy fast through the world of parenting? Yes, we are. We're so excited. All right. So good to hear. So number one, fight to give your children a parent that loves Jesus. Fight to give your children a parent that loves Jesus. In Deuteronomy 6, we hear these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is a very famous passage to to, to urge us to parent our children and saturate them and smother them with talk of God. 
with God's word. <clears throat> and that is totally true. And it is totally a good passage to use. You know, but Matt Chandler did such a great job, though, on a message about this. When he noted that what we breeze through in Deuteronomy 6 in our theology of parenting is that very beginning. It doesn't start with write the stuff on your doorpost. It doesn't start with teach this to your children. It starts with verse 5, love. You, parent, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Verse 6, it doesn't say, and these words that I command you today shall be on your doorpost. It says they shall be on your heart. They shall be on your heart. And everything that happens over the next few verses about walking and talking and writing them, it, it happens after that. It happens after you have found Jesus and you are loving Jesus in your own heart, in your own life, in your own walk. And it's out of that that you can talk and speak and write to your children. Does it, do you see that? And that's just something that he did a great job in his message, which we'll put online to, to, to make sure we don't breeze by that. Our children need to see us not simply teaching them about God. They need to see us treasure God. They need to see us loving God. They need to see us satisfied by him, running to him, leaning on him, and resting in him. And what's beautiful about that, that's not something that you, you have to do like to figure out how to parent them. That's something you have to experience in your own life, and then it happens. That's what happens as a byproduct of, of loving God. You end up talking to your children about God because you really do love him. Ted Tripp says this is the goal of parenting. Tripp says, I want to raise kids. This is his fundamental goal for parenting in a <clears throat> message with John Piper. I want to raise kids that understand the world of reality. There is a God in heaven. He is glorious. He is good. And I want them to see his goodness. And so the greatest gift we can give our kids is not a heart focused mostly on good parenting, but a heart focused on loving Jesus, on a heart filled with his spirit. Resting in his gospel, living for his pleasure. Good moms and dads come from that place. And this means that we need to be saturating our souls in his promises. Especially his promises in the gospel. That he is for you, mom and dad. That he has taken the curse of the law away from you, mom and dad. That he is your father now. That he lives to empower you, that he intercedes for you. Feasting and banking and resting on those promises so that you might present to your child sincere hearts that sincerely love God. They will catch it more than they will be taught by it. Number two, remember who you represent. Remember who you represent. The best parenting advice I ever got, I think, that I can recall in my own understanding was last year at a dad-to-dad night which we will also be posting this week online. Great notes that Tim Abel put together finally will be out there for you guys from the dad-to-dad night night. That night, Mark Nichols said across the room, maybe he was looking directly at me, he said, you don't represent your own authority to your children. You represent God's authority. You are not preparing your children simply for adulthood. You are not preparing your children, worse yet, for your eternal parenting of them. You are preparing them for God's eternal parenting. You are the first course, not the main course. You are the little model airplane. He is the Boeing 747 jet. (laughs) This makes a difference in the dignity with which I view my kids when I realize they have a journey to a much greater love and a much greater authority than me. And that that's my job, to usher them and to help them towards that. 
This makes a difference when they rebel against me. I don't have to bear the full weight of that transgression. I shouldn't bear any of it. If, if, it's not about my authority. Because if it's about my authority, beginning and ending, it's really about, that's really saying it's about my glory. And that's a lot more painful way to live as a parent. But if it's about his authority, if it's about his glory, then I can let that transgression fall on him. I can let that rebellion fall on him. So many times since this has been taught to me, a defining question for me when I tend to be angry with my little ones is, am I concerned for my own heart here? Am I concerned for my own respect and my own glory? Or am I fighting to represent God's heart to them? I just prayer I send up in little moments throughout the day. Lord, help me represent you. Help me represent you. Help me remember this is not about me. This is about you and them. And so I commend to you guys that practice. Look up to the heavens often and cry out, Lord, help me. I'm here to represent you. Help me represent you and not get my own personal interest involved in this. Number three, teach your children to obey. I think I called it something different. Let's go to the next one. No, I didn't. Teach your children to obey. It's just kind of a duh thing, but the duh things are often the most important things. The Bible makes it really clear that your discipline of your children really matters. A reading through Proverbs, of, of all the Proverbs about parenting, makes this startlingly clear. And one of the more famous passages to me is Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. Listen to this passage. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Now, this is not a message today about spanking. Um, but though because I mentioned I want to say I believe lovingly applied spanking is important and commanded by Scripture. And I believe physical abuse of children is real and horrible. And so we must think very carefully about spanking. And the best resource I know is Ted Tripp's classic book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, he teaches a loving, anger-free, non-abusive, gospel-centered way to discipline, and I'll include a link to that in some of the stuff in the post-op. But, but, but please don't hear me saying in any of this that this verse is about spanking more. It, this verse may, really, may, may very well mean to you, spank less. But what I want you to see from this verse isn't about spanking. It's about, again, something very duh that echoes through all the passages about children and parents in, in Proverbs. It's this connection between what is bound up in the heart of children that is foolishness, wickedness, stupidity, folly, and how the knowledge of and the fear of real consequences casts that foolishness away. And who is called to provide this life-saving consequence? You are. Parents. The verse tells us that faithful parenting is crucial to the formation of a child's character. Your parenting with loving discipline matters. It is of great significance. I'm not trying to scare you, and hopefully I will comfort you with things later. But this is the Bible. And we can wonder, why, I've often thought this, why am I calling my kids to obey if they're not yet saved? Like, isn't that legalism? How do I do this? And, and as I've studied this and thought about this, the basic truth is it, it's not legalism. It's, hu- it's humane. It's humane. My children need to learn to control themselves. Um, even if we don't know if our children are saved, Calling them to obey parents prepares them for a major category of life in this world, self-control, and a major category of life with God, obedience. Obedience doesn't end with the gospel. Paul writes, his aim was to take every thought captive to obey Christ. He writes in 2 Thessalonians, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with them. Paul says in Romans I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. 
by word and by deed. Piper says, Parents who do not teach their children to obey God's appointed authorities prepare them for a life out of step with God's word, a life out of step with the very gospel they desire to emphasize. Now, I want to re-emphasize here, our attempts at parenting do not save our children eternally, but they can be used by God to prepare their hearts by helping them flee folly, embrace wisdom, and thus position themselves to be ready to be acted on by the Holy Spirit. Moving at light speed. Four, put the big rocks in the jar first. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, says Ephesians. I know for so many of us, life is a flood of responsibilities and opportunities. Work, care group, school, soccer, doctors, work, gymnastics, judo, piano lessons, driving back and forth, throwing nuggets in the back seat. God did not tell you to raise your children up in the instruction of soccer. Soccer is great. I want my kids to be active and to get exercise. It's not unimportant. But your kids don't need judo as much as they need to know you as a person who loves God and a person who loves them deeply. Family day. Make family day. Make time with your children rocks in your week, not leftovers. Put those, you ever heard that phrase, put the rocks in the jar? If you start, you have a jar, you have big rocks. You start with the big rocks and then you put the little rocks and the pebbles and the sand around it. But if you start with the sand and the pebbles, there's no room for the big rocks. So you want to put the big rocks in the jar of your life first. Those big rocks are your children and time with them. It's your wife and time with her. Put those first. Prioritize those. You know, family devotions do not have to be complicated. They are in, in the Turner house right now. It is, it is reading the Bible and praying. You know, every night we just try to be faithful to read the Bible at bedtime and pray with our kids. At dinner time. sometimes we try to get some memory verse songs in. And I'm starting to try to have some quiet times with my two oldest with some kind of regularity. But we're struggling. We've got a ton of stuff going on. But we're fighting. We're fighting for the rocks. Um, and bedtime's really that non-negotiable time where we get in the Bible together. Um, Ephesians 6.4 says, we talked a little bit about this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I just want a, a sidebar emphasis on this point. Dads, be present. Dads, be present. Paul could have said, mothers and fathers, in this verse, mothers are supposed to care for their children, raise them up as well. And, and I, I do think there is an affirmation here of the, of the father being the head of the home and the, the authority in the home. But I wonder if there isn't another aspect to what Paul is saying here, is that for fathers, it is much easier for us to try to escape and just let other things crowd out our attention to our kids. When we stand before God, he's not going to ask our wives about how our home was led and run and how our kids were loved and cared for first. He's going to ask us first. So I just want to encourage you men, don't outsource your parenting. Dads, be present. And, I, you know, I don't know a better example of this than Andrew Pennington on our team. The way that he'll, we got a staff meeting, I got a soccer game. I got to cut out early. I just got to do it. He works hard because he longs to make sure that his kids aren't orphans of this church in his ministry. And he battles hard to do that, and it is an example to me. And that's your youth pastor. So commend him to you again. Amen. If I'd known he wasn't so booked this week, and I knew it wasn't so late in the week, I would have asked him to do this sermon instead of me. 
Number five, parent in community. Titus 2, famous Titus 2 verse. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, listen, Proverbs 31 tells us that women can work outside the home and have businesses and do all that stuff. My point here isn't to get involved in in that dialogue as as much as just to say we're not called to parent alone. We're called to parent in community. We need each other, not just moms, but dads need each other. Um, I remember years ago, our church was asking me and Jen to be part of a new care group. I looked around at the care group's makeup. All the women were younger than my wife. We were a brand new couple. We were pregnant or about to have a baby. I mean, she was. I was involved. But. And, and I just, you know, for our social circuit that we had at the church and the time we had, we didn't have time to build up other institutions for older women to pour into my wife. And I just said no. The pastors had asked me to move to that care group, and I just said, I'm not going to do it. This care group has older ladies who can care for my wife and be her friend cause in ways that she needs. I, I can't do it alone. She needs community. So we stayed put in our care group, then they found some older people for the new care group, and then we went in there. But the point is, um, we need to be in community with other adults. So dad to dad was so incredible. There are things I learned that night that I'm living on for the last year and a half because I heard other fathers like Mark and like Bill Keeley and Fred talk about how to do this. Tom Dietrich drives by my house. Every time I feel like drive, drive, Tom, Tom drives by my house, he just yelled, he says to me, are you spending time with your kids? Are you spending time with your wife? You letting this church wreck your family? I mean, he doesn't say it like that, but that's what he means. It's just so good to hear Tom grab me by the scruff of the car and say, Albert, be in your kids' lives. Again, we need to do parenting together. Um, Things that I've tried to tell my wife, man, I get together with Renee Dietrich and I just see her tell my wife and she's just like, oh, yes, Renee, I get it. I'm just like, I've been telling you that for five years. She's like, he didn't say it as wisely as Renee did. It just happens all the time. I'm talking really fast because of time, but... We'll get there. Number six, we're almost done. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your children. Psalm 127, children are a blessing from the Lord. Matthew 3, 17, God says of Jesus, this is my beloved son. The template of the Trinity is enjoyment. God enjoys his boy. He delights in his son. And we should take cues from that. In the 1800s, this um, great old writer, Gardner Springs, Christian writer, wrote this. He said, every child should be convinced that his parent is his best friend. And he didn't mean that, obviously, that means the parent's going to just go out in the back and chew tobacco with him. He, he, he meant this. He must know that there are none on his devoted attachment there, there, there are no people more devoted and attached to him that he may so completely rely. There are none who will do and suffer so patiently and so longingly for him, who look for no higher gratification or reward in his good conduct and highest welfare than his parents. Once we plant these thoughts in a child's heart, we cannot fail to have a stronghold upon his conscience and his character. And we should use every sensible, lawful means to secure the affections of our children to induce them to choose our company, to enter into conversation with us without embarrassment, without shame, he means, and to trust us with their own private affairs. That is hard work, but it takes the kind of time that Tom is talking about. Getting alone with them, driving in the car with them, 
getting off your, your phone, making them get off their phones, just so you can talk and be. An old pastor, a friend of mine, Dan Hopkins, had a couple of kids that I just thought were outstanding kids. And I, look, there's no secret perfect formula for this. Please don't hear me saying that. But I just loved their relationship. And I just said, How do, you know, what's the secret for you? How do you do it? And he said, well, there's a lot of things we did, but I just really enjoy my kids. I just really learned to enjoy them. It's not always easy to do. It isn't. I know there are certain dynamics between parents and children that are harder than others. So you've got to work on it. You know, in, in our house, we at times have to send mom off on special missions with Marie, just alone. Because the, the dynamic between the two when everything else is going on in the house, it's hard. It's hard between the two of them. It's a real challenge. A lot of demands, a lot of contortions, a lot of parenting stuff that's not easy. But when you send them off on a, a trip to go get a milkshake or go shopping, and they just get that unhurried time alone together, it's a beautiful thing. Number seven, finally, rest in God. There is rest. There is rest in knowing who saves your children. There is rest in knowing who cares about your parenting and who helps you. Listen to Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. For years when I read that psalm, I thought it was about this dynamic principle that that we got to do work, but we got to trust in God as we do work. That we got to put out effort, but we can't think that we're earning something. That we can't, we can't agonize over stuff. We have to trust God as we do what we're trying to do in labor. I thought it was just this basic principle. And I, I couldn't believe it took me a long time to, to realize what this is specifically about. Verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's about parenting. Psalm 127, build the house, build in vain, watch the city. It's about parenting. I mean, it applies to other things, right? Like so many things in the Bible, they're transferable principles. But it's about parenting. Saying you've got a quiver full of kids, you are overwhelmed. How could you handle a quiver full of kids? I'm overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. (laughs) And God says, look, Al, it's not ultimately up to you, man. If I don't build, it's not going to be built. If I don't watch, it's not going to be watched. He's not threatening me with that. He's trying to say, who do you think you are? Get off your high horse. You think you can do this? You think it's your parenting that's going to save your kids? It's important. I'll use it. End of the day, if I don't do it, it's not getting done. And if I decide to do it, nothing you can do to stop it. Right? That's what God is saying. So go ahead, have a quiver full if you need to. Be overwhelmed. <laughs> I think we're done. But anyway, God works as you work. He doesn't work without you. I mean, he wants you to work. He does work without you. He doesn't work not requiring you to work. He doesn't work under you. He's not your servant. You're his servant. He works above you, but he works with you. He loves them more than you could love them. He cares about your parenting. They are special to him. Listen, children are special to God because he loves children. You'll see that all through the scriptures. But in 1 Corinthians 7, we recognize this. 
Paul writes that believing spouses in a mixed faith marriage, that believing spouses in a mixed faith marriage make the children in that marriage clean. I don't think that's salvific, but it, it means that they're special. They're set apart. Paul says, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Because even though you're married to an unbeliever, you believe. Paul doesn't explain fully what he means here. It's a mystery. It's been argued about and written about. And again, it doesn't mean they're saved, but I think he means that these children are under a special provision of God's care, protection, and concern. They are set apart. The word is holy, sacred. They are sacred to him in a unique way that doesn't apply to the children of unbelievers. It doesn't mean he doesn't love those children. But because you belong to Jesus, if your children are unsaved, those children are sacred and special to him. It's up to God. John Piper's dad would cry out to God for the miracle of new birth. Piper says that they prayed together every night as a family because the great need in their household was not for perfect parenting. The greatest need they had, John Piper says, was supernatural. It was divine power. Power to live with joy, to bear fruit for the Holy Spirit. That's not our work. We cry out, we pray, we depend, but it's God's work, so rest in his parenting. We made it. (laughs) Amen.